Deuteronomy 28 and verse number 45. Let's stand for the reading of God's word here today. Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse number 45 says, Moreover, all these curses shall come upon thee, and shall pursue thee and overtake thee till thou be destroyed, because thou hearkenest not unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded thee. They shall be upon thee for a sign and for a wonder and upon thy seed forever. Verse 46 is referring to the curses of verse number 45. Verse 47 is the explanation as to why the children of Israel uh, have been uh, warned of these cursings. He says, because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart, for the abundance of all things. The message this morning is entitled, Choose Joy. And it's part one of a series that I'm entitling, How to Have Joy. And you know, it's interesting, Brother Ralph talked about it when he prayed here this morning. And he said, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And as I look around and I see so many of God's people, I see a lot of people just trying to be faithful, hanging in there, trying to do the right thing. But you know, we don't see as much joy as we ought to see. We don't experience as much joy as we ought to experience, and yet the Word of God is so chock full of how-tos on how we can actually enjoy serving God. God warned the children of Israel that if you don't serve me with joyfulness and with gladness, then your heart's going to turn away from me, and then as a result, God says exactly what I warned you of is exactly what's going to happen. Join me as we pray and ask the Lord to bless uh, the message here today. Father, it's good to be in church, and thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for the songs that were sung. Lord, so many rich meaning and doctrinal truth in the songs, the hymns that we sang. And then, uh, Lord, just the song that the ladies sang to us here today about knowing Jesus, about Jesus being our friend. Lord, we've got so much to be joyful about. So many things to rejoice and to be thankful and to be glad about. Lord, there's not a whole lot out there in this world to be glad about. Most of the news that we uh, we turn on and, and listen to or, or watch, Lord, most of it's bad news. And uh, Lord, it just beats us up. But thank you, Lord, that we can look to the truth of your word and we can see some good news. And I pray, Father, that you'd bless this time together, encourage hearts, Draw people to Jesus Christ, and I pray, Father, that you would have your will and way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So first of all, I want to draw your attention to the fact that in verse number 47, we see the word joyfulness. This is actually the first mention of any form of the word joy in the Bible. And it's in connection with a covenant that God made with the children of Israel. And if you read all of these surrounding chapters here in the book of Deuteronomy, you find that God has made an agreement with the children of Israel. And to paraphrase everything that God is saying to them, He's basically saying, do right and things will go well. Do wrong and things ain't going to go so good. Like I said, that's a very paraphrased thing, but that's the agreement that God has made with Israel. Now, let me say this. Please, in no way are we using the text today to imply 
that the church has inherited this covenant. You will find some of the promises that God made to Israel. You can claim them as much as you want, but if God honors you claiming that promise, it's going to be because he was gracious and merciful, not because you had it coming. Israel was under a covenant that if they did right, they could expect long life, they could expect prosperity, they could expect a a good economy and good health and everything would be, I mean, their crops would grow. God promised that it would be that way and God always kept his promise. You don't find that Israel enjoyed very many years like that and the problem is because Israel was a very hard-hearted, stiff-necked people from day one. They just had a hard time trusting the Lord. Sound familiar today? God's people today, even in the church age, we find it very difficult to trust the Lord. Why? Because we don't need the Lord like some past generations needed the Lord. We don't need family as much today. We don't need God's blessings. We don't need rain like we used to. I mean, we can pipe it in and we can, we've got ditches and we've got all kinds of things. We don't need to, to be able to have a good garden because we can go down to the store and buy what we need. Now, there's nothing wrong with all of these things. And, you know, we can't change the culture around us. But we also need to be aware that if we're not careful, we can allow it to create a sense of self-dependency in our lives into thinking falsely that we really don't need God. I got news for you. I don't care what our government or our culture or social safety nets. I don't care if they have a, if they have a, um, a, um, why did my, uh, I can't believe my mind just drew a blank for, for the virus. You take a shot. What's that called? A what? Vaccination. Why couldn't I think of that word? You can have a vaccination for everything, common cold, flu, I mean, indigestion. Doesn't matter. You can take care of all of those things, but I've got news for you. We still desperately need God because we're all going to die. And after death, we're going to stand before our Creator. Now, you can deny that all that you want, but I really think that down deep in your soul, you know it to be a fact. And that's why so many people uh, get so adamantly atheistic and so forth. I I, I don't know why they... um, why they even make a big deal out of it. If we're right and they're wrong, they're in really, really big trouble. If they're right and we're wrong, we have absolutely nothing to lose. I will tell you this, I'm way more, I'm way healthier today and happier because I got right with the Lord and started following the Bible than I was. I think of what my life would have been like. Do you know that sin takes a toll on your life? I mean, you can, when you first start sinning, it doesn't matter whether it is uh, fornication and adultery or whether it is alcohol and drugs or whether it's reveling, whether it's stealing something in order to gain something without working for it. You can go right down the line and you can instantly have gratification and pleasure. But those things always take a toll on your life. You're eventually going to get caught. You're eventually going to create other people's sorrow and heartache. You're going to end up causing yourself sorrow and heartache. You're going to cause yourself health problems, cancer, disease, 
all kinds of problems. You're going to create your own depression. And the fact of the matter is you can't change all of this. It's reality. You young people, you, you, you start dabbling in sin and doing what you know to be wrong. And it kind of creates a little bit of an adrenaline rush. And you think, oh, wow, I, I, this is way better than what I was warned of. Listen, I'm going to tell you the truth. You can dabble in sin and you will love it at the start. But I'm going to warn you from the bottom of my heart, it's never going to love you back. It's going to destroy you. It's going to cause you pain, suffering, sorrow, and heartache. You cannot deny that fact for the wages of sin is death. And that's the fact of the matter. Just like gravity, you drop something, gravity is going to make it drop. You're going to reap what you sow, so on and so forth. So the text today, I'm not implying that we claim these promises. But I am saying this, Romans 15 verse number 4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Just because the promise was not made to us doesn't mean that there aren't some natural laws that we find out a thing or two about God. Listen, God may bless you for doing right, and He does that because He wants to. Not because He has to keep a promise, but because He's a good God. And as a general rule, you do right and you're going to have good results. You do wrong, you're going to have, you're going to have bad results. It's the law of sowing and reaping, but it's also a principle about God that He is a blesser, but He's also a curser. He will bless you and He will curse you. Listen, I've got enough going against me. I don't need God to be against me. How about you? I mean, life and even myself. Is anybody out there like me? Sometimes I'm my own worst enemy. I need God's help and I need His blessings. And I know from the principles, the learning of that which was written aforetime, I find out that God says, if you'll do right, I'm going to be on your side and I'm going to help you out. So I do believe that it is not stretching the context into saying that, that God will bless you if you will follow him and do the same things that he said that he wanted the nation of Israel to do. So how to have joy or choosing joy. You know that choosing joy is something that you have within your power. Uh, you know, sometimes we just wait for the right circumstances to come along. And, uh, you know, they happen every now and then. You know, something just happens out of the blue. I've had times where just out of the blue, some good thing happened. But for the most part, joy is something that I have to choose, and so do you. And if you're not all happy and enjoying your Christian life, then certainly we can choose joy. So number one, turn to Ezra chapter number three. And number one, uh, the Bible teaches us to make the best of every situation. Not all of our situations are good and positive. Life is not rainbows and roses. It's not peachy all the time. It's tough. We have things that we have sickness. The last two years, the last, actually almost going on three years now, it has not always been easy. We've had a lot of sickness, a lot of suffering. We've had people that are in heaven today because of the 
the sickness, the pandemic, and and because of that, uh, there is a lot of sorrow. And uh, add to that just all of the stuff that was going on four years ago. It, it didn't go away when the pandemic hit, did it? You still had, you, we still have cancer. I hear that polio is making a comeback. That's not a good thing. I can remember I had some uh, some uh, fellow students that had had polio, and that's just not a good thing. And that's coming back. I hear that uh, in the the south uh, central part of the states that uh, there's even some uh, leprosy that's showing up, and they're attributing it to the disease being carried by armadillo and so forth. And so this is just not a good thing, but. We live in a very wicked world because of sin. But there is a concept here that we can make the best of every situation. Ezra chapter number 3 and verse number 11, a little background here. We have the dedication of the rebuilt temple or the foundation of the temple, I should say. The children of Israel have been in captivity. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians had came in and just ransacked the temple of God. And so under Ezra's leadership, he was a priest and, a, you know, uh, you had uh, Joshua and, uh, and a number of different uh, leaders in Israel. They had rebuilt the foundation of the temple. And it says in verse number 11, they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord. Because he is good, for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers, who were ancient men that had seen the first house, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, it says they wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy. You had a lot of noise going on, but some people are shouting because they're excited and others are crying and making noise because they're sad because the new foundation couldn't compare to the old foundation. Verse 13, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. This wasn't just a little mild thing. This was a big thing that was going on. And uh, the point here that the Lord gives us is we need to learn how to make the best out of every situation. I said this a number of months ago in a message. I don't remember what message I was preaching. But I said the perfect is the enemy of the good. I like things to be perfect, and so do you. But we also realize that things are very seldom, if ever, perfect. And a lot of times, we'll find that one imperfection, and instead of rejoicing in all of the things that are good, we will, you know, we'll kind of start grumbling because it's not as good as what we expected. When we first moved here, we were having lunch one day with Sister Phyllis, Brother Donald Grant, I don't remember what we were talking about. I made a statement to Brother Donald. I said, Brother Donald, things aren't like they used to be. He replied and he said, they never were. You know, God made us amazingly resilient. And we tend to romanticize the past and find discontentment in the present. 
we remember the garlics and the leeks and the onions and all of the good things in Egypt, but we forget about the whips and the labor and the rigor and the oppression. It's just human nature. God took and made us resilient so that we wouldn't be defined by bad things that happen in our life. And by the way, children are resilient. I know parents, we always worry about our kids. Sometimes we go through tough times in, in life and our circumstances. But listen, God made us all. If we will not allow ourselves to become victims like our culture tells us to, then we can actually be resilient. And it's like, you know what? Life goes on. Let's make the best out of this situation. Listen, negativity, uh, please don't think I'm sounding like these modern contemporary preachers. I'm not going to blink my eye while I talk about negativity, okay? Some of you get what I'm saying. Negativity is a form of unbelief. I I don't care how preaching about negativity has morphed into something that's man-centered and psychology. The fact of the matter is, in the Scripture... Negativity is a form of unbelief. The children of Israel in the wilderness are a prime example. All they could do is see the bad, and they could not rejoice in the good. Now, I know what you and I would think. It's like, how would you like to get thirsty? I mean, let's say I didn't have this bottled water. Let's say I got thirsty, and uh, let's say you got thirsty, and me as your pastor, let's say I just, let's say I took my Bible because I don't I carry a Bible, not a staff. And let's say that we went out in the yard and, you know, let's say the, the, the concrete out there. We just, I tapped my Bible on the concrete and it cracked just a little bit and out bubbled fresh spring water. You'd be going, whoa, that's awesome. We just saw something. God, thank you. You're so wonderful. Let's say that you didn't have to go to the grocery store and buy your food anymore, but All you had to do is just open up your front door, and I mean, you didn't see it happen, but DoorDash or whoever is putting food on your front doorstep every morning, and all you have to do is open your door and go out and get it, just like an Amazon delivery. You think, whoa, God, you're awesome. That's what's happening with the children of Israel. But then what happened is they got used to the new and the shiny of those miracles wore off. And it lost its luster and they started thinking about, well, you know what, this is, this is just not the variety that I wanted. Brother Runyon used to tell this story. This guy's sitting on the porch, you know, smoking his pipe, got his feet up on the rail. And, you know, he's one of these lazy guys that's always rocking on the porch but never goes out and works. Somebody drives by with a cart, pulling it with the horse, and it's a whole cart full of corn. I mean, ears of corn just piled up on the back of the cart. The guy stops in front of the the other guy's porch, and he says, Hey, Fred, you want some corn? Fred takes his pipe out of his mouth. He says, Is it shucked? You know, sadly, if we would kind of examine how we look at life, oftentimes we get that same type of attitude. All we can think about is what God's not doing for us instead of focusing on the things that God is doing for us. I'm sure that this temple foundation couldn't compare to the old one. But at the same token, those old timers, 
should have said, you know what? Let's not, let's not be so negative. Let's not take away their joy. These young whippersnappers, they're rejoicing over it. Hey, at least there's a foundation of a temple that is being rebuilt. It may not be like the one that we remember, but who knows? Maybe the Lord would take and use it and it would become better. After all, was not the temple more about God than it was about the looks of the foundation of it? I mean, God's presence is what made it the temple of God, not all of the decorations and all of the beauty of it. It was the presence of God. Listen, I'd rather have a shack with God's presence than to have a mansion that God is nowhere near. And the same thing should apply for our homes and for our churches. Negativity is a form of unbelief. Expectations, as Brother Davis once preached, are the enemy of relationships as well as gratitude. And the same thing applies to our relationship with Jesus Christ. If we have expectations that are not realistic, then it's going to affect our relationship with Him. Our disappointment is going to turn into discouragement, and our discouragement is going to turn into depression. And what God says, if you want to have some joy, then you're going to have to learn how to make the best of every situation. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 6 says, be careful for nothing. That means full of care. Being careful for nothing is a really, really nice way of saying stop worrying and stressing about things you can't control. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Listen, if your circumstances aren't the way that you want them to be, then ask God to make things better, but do it with thanksgiving. Do it thanking Him for what you do have. Listen, I I wish that I had more popularity. I wish I had more friends. Or you go to school and it's like, you know, I wish that that popular person or, you know, maybe some of you girls wish that you had a a, a certain guy that's a boyfriend and maybe a boy that says, well, she's really pretty. I wish that she was my girlfriend. Isn't that real world type stuff for young people? Be careful for nothing. Don't worry about it, especially if you're young. Definitely don't worry about it. What a waste of worry. You're not ready for that worry. Amen, Brother Ralph. (laughs) Just give it some time and be patient. You know, quit worrying about what you get, just worrying about what you can be. You know, if you want, if you want, (laughs) listen, especially you young men, you want to have a good wife to marry? Well, just worry about making yourself a good husband. Maybe the Lord will bless you. I guarantee you, you follow the Lord and you allow God to make you into the man, the husband that you're supposed to be. God will provide you the wife that you need. Say, it may not not be the one that you wanted. Well, would you rather have what you need or what you want? The wise person recognizes that what I want is not always what's best for me. Verse number 7, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. 
Don't just stop thinking about your unbelief and your ingratitude and your discontentment. You can't stop thinking about that. You know, it's it's kind of like the it's kind of like the people who struggle with addictions, whether it be to something that's chemical or pharmaceutical or even something that's pornographic. You know, you can't stay. I'm just going to stop doing that. I'm going to stop doing that. Well, if you're doing that, then you're thinking about it, right? The best way is replace that with something. Start thinking about good things and right things and all of that crowd out all of that bad stuff. And then you can experience the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Then you can have some joy and that's the right way to go about it. Replacing all of the bad stuff. Get so busy serving God and thinking about others rather than yourself and you will find the joy. We all know the acronym of joy J-O-Y, Jesus first, others second, and you last. I look around and I see a lot of moy, 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 moy down in my heart. Got the moy, 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 moy down in my heart. You say, what's moy? Me first, others second, you last. It's all over the place. It's common. Someone said there's no I in team. No, but there's a me. <laughs> There's an M-E. Fact of the matter is the way to have joy is to stop thinking so much about yourself and start thinking about other people. We're not talking about sticking our head in the sand and being irresponsible. We're talking about setting aside the things we cannot control for the things that we can. Make the, make the best out of every situation that life deals you. Number two, turn to Ezra chapter number six. Number two is get excited about the house of God. This is a, this is a great principle, and I don't say this with selfish interest as a pastor. Listen, I'm, I'm excited about church and about God's business, and, you know, I, I surrendered my life to the Lord 36 plus years ago. And the Lord has just continually put me further and further into the work of God, into church and church family and ministry and people and serving others. And, and it's been a good life. It hasn't been a perfect life. Listen, my wife will vouch for me. Anyone who's ever preached or pastored can vouch that it's a life that's filled with a lot of heartaches and a lot of rejections. And, you know, people, people you know, you love them. No one likes unrequited love, do we? I mean, when you love people and then they reject that, it's just hard to not take that personal. But we have to look past that. And we have to get excited about the things of God. I I pray regularly. I, I used to pray this, Lord, bless what we're doing. And I stopped saying that. And I started saying, Lord, help me to do what you're blessing. Help me to do what you're blessing. Help. Don't, I'm not asking you to jump on my bandwagon, but I'm asking you to drive by my life and let me jump on your bandwagon. It's a, it's a huge difference. Ezra 6 and verse number 16. It says, And the children of Israel 
the priests and the Levites and the rest of the children of the captivity kept the dedication of this house of God with what? With joy. They're keeping a dedication. They are around the rebuilt temple here. They're dedicating it. Verse 17, and offered at the dedication of this house of God and hundred bullocks, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and for a sin offering for all Israel, 12 he goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their courses and the service of God, which is at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. I hope you can picture what's going on here. Not only are they having this big event where they're dedicating it with joy, I mean, they're rejoicing and they're shouting and they're excited about the fact that we've got a house of God again. But they're also getting involved in the service of it and the giving and the sacrifice of it, and they're doing it all with joy. Oh, preacher, we got church on Wednesday night. Do we have to go again? These people right here who are living lives filled with joy, they're not saying, do we have to? They're saying, do we get to? Listen, the priest isn't saying, hey, look, if you don't give these bullocks and if you don't give these offering, we're going to have to come take them from you. They're not saying, if you don't do it, you're not right with God. No, these people are coming to the priests and saying, hey, we got all these bullocks. We got all of these offerings, these sacrifices, and we're so excited about the house of God. What can we do and what can we give? Don't look at me with those faces this morning. I'm not manipulating you. I'm trying to be a helper of your joy. Listen, there are things God's heart is in the church. Did he not give himself for the church? Does he not love the church? You want to have some joy, then start getting happy. Start investing your life into some things that God's a part of. This was an exciting time for God's people. Why? Because they valued the things of God. Listen, can you imagine what God's going to say to you? If you're one of these sports fans that you get all excited about going to a sports game, you know, there are people that will spend literally hundreds and hundreds of dollars to go watch someone dunk a basketball or make a three, three point shot or throw a football, literally hundreds of dollars, in some cases, thousands of dollars. And they'll go and they'll travel and go to lengths to go and watch that sporting event. And they'll show up and they'll just go crazy. They're so excited. Yay, go Tar Heels. Go Panthers. Go. <laughs> go Panthers. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Seriously. What is God going to say to you if you got all excited about things that matter absolutely nothing? I'm not even saying, listen, they don't matter nothing. I can't say that they don't matter a little. They may matter to you, but that's the problem. How's your joy when your team doesn't do well? 
you lose your joy. Listen, God's team is always doing well. How's your excitement? What is God going to think of that? Now, the right kind of excitement in the church is based on what we value, not on the quality of the show. Listen, A.W. Tozer said this. He said, a church fed on excitement is no New Testament church at all. The desire for surface stimulation is a sure mark of the fallen nature, the very thing Christ died to deliver us from. Listen, we're not talking about a building or a program. We're not talking about a performance on the platform. We're talking about the family of God and the church, the assembly. And we are a church with a commission to go out and reach the lost, to be representatives of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine if you got picked to be an ambassador for the United States of America? Can you imagine if you were half-hearted? I mean, if you went to live over, let's say, you know, like in France, like Benjamin Franklin. You ever, you ever read about Benjamin Franklin being an ambassador to France before the Revolutionary War? Do you know, we probably, let me back up. History shows, and just let's set the providence of God aside for a moment. History shows, humanly speaking, that without France's finances, there's no way we would have won the Revolutionary War. And Benjamin Franklin was such a great ambassador for the United States of America, he basically bankrupted the King of France. And then he went over afterward, after they're practically bankrupt, and France didn't get anything, and Franklin still was able to talk to him about more money. And they gave it. I would say Franklin was pretty passionate about the freedom of the 13 colonies of the United States of America. He gave it his all. He was serious about it. We then, as ambassadors for Christ, beseech you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Do we care like we ought to about the people around us? That we would give them a track, mail out a track, that we would that we would invite them to church where they can hear the word of God so that they can have their lives changed, be reconciled to God so that they can have joy. Some of you would be like, well, you know, if I why go reach them? Because I don't have any joy. Well, that's the problem. And that's why we need to get back to the things that give us joy. And one of them, obviously, from the scripture is to get excited about the house of God. Listen, I don't believe that church should be boring. I think the preaching and the singing and the praising should all be with heartfelt passion and preparation. No doubt about it. Heartfelt passion and preparation. It should be prayed over. If your heart is in it, you will be contagious. If your heart isn't in it, you will be contagious. It's true. It's true. Our spirits emanate. If you're all self-conscious, it's like, I'm not going to say amen. Guess what? The person next to you is not going to be saying amen. On the count of three, everybody say amen. One, two, three. On the count of three, three of you say amen. Okay, see there? You didn't know which three I was talking about. 
How about if we just follow the scripture and let the redeemed of the Lord say so? And if you're saved, let's just everybody get in the habit of saying amen, praise the Lord, whenever something is worthy of saying amen, praise the Lord. Yeah, you're not getting it. If your heart is in it, you will be contagious. If your heart isn't in it, you will be contagious. Proverbs 27, verse number 7 says, The full soul loatheth the honeycomb, but to the hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet. We need more rejoicers and praisers and participants in the church of God than we need critics. Churches are filled with critics and experts and fine connoisseurs of what the preaching and the singing ought to be like, but it's getting fewer and fewer of actual participants of saying, hey, I want to be a part of it. You know, the first thing that you should do, I mean, I'm not saying that you should criticize and that you should gripe and complain, but listen, at least before you criticize and gripe and complain, maybe spend hours and hours and hours in prayer saying, hey, Lord, help my preacher, he's boring. Lord, please help those singers. They were off key. Lord, please help. I'm looking for somebody to pick on. I'm just in a good mood. I can't even think of anybody to pick on. Lord, help the teenagers. (laughs) Get excited about the house of God. It'll give you some joy. Number three, my last point. Look at Nehemiah. Just Actually, it's in a different book, but it's only a few pages to the right. Nehemiah. Chapter number 8, Brother Ralph alluded to this when he led us in prayer. The joy of the Lord is your strength, but there's a principle behind this that is right here in the Word of God that's connected to the joy of the Lord being our strength. Verse number 10, Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet. And send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's a time for being sorry. There is a time for repentance. And listen, we need to be sorry over our sin, and we need to repent of our sin. But if you have repented, and you've told God, you've confessed it, and said, God, I'm sorry, I messed up all of these things that I've been and done and so forth, if you've done that, verse number 11, so the Levites stilled all the people saying, hold your peace for the day is holy, neither be ye grieved. Number three, try to forget your past. Listen, God has, God has. Listen, there's a time for self-examination. There's a time for remembrance, but be really, really careful. Be careful. Listen, there's times where we got to look in the mirror, and when we lose our joy and we lose our peace and we can't figure out why that is or circumstances come upon us, that's a time to look in the mirror. The Bible says, examine yourself, whether you be in the faith. There's a time for that. But if you've examined, if you've looked in the mirror of the Word of God... And you can say, listen, I have confessed my sin. 1 John 1, verse number 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a true promise from God. It's not about our feelings. 
The devil will beat you up because he is the accuser of the brethren. Your own memory, you'll never feel worthy. Listen, if you feel worthy to pray and talk to God, you're deceived because we should never feel worthy. God's not interested in this performance-based, um, you know, that, oh, he's satisfied with me because I, you know, I'm, I'm doing right right now. Well, listen, on your very best day, it's still filthy rags. You better be basing your relationship with Jesus Christ based on what Jesus has done for you, not based on anything you or, you or I have done for him. Philippians 3, verse number 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. If you're going to have joy in your life, you're going to have to learn how to forget the past, leave it in the past. You can't undo it. It's already done. It's in the books. You cannot control what's going to happen tomorrow, but we have some control over today, and we can choose joy. And if you will believe and trust that your sins have been forgiven, then you can be joyous and rejoicing in all that the Lord has done. Notice I said try to forget. Try. Because rest assured, the devil will remind you. But God said in Hebrews 8.12, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. number of different passages in the Bible where the Lord says that He's removed our sins and our iniquities as far as the east is from the west. God has forgotten all about it. If you confess your sin, I, I understand. I, I do the same thing. I've had times where I just I messed up royally and I knew it and I confessed it. And you know, there's always a time... God might have forgiven me instantly and my relationship from his standpoint is restored. But from my standpoint, I'm still, I still feel unworthy. I don't feel like I can be close to him. I'm still kind of hiding from him because whenever I pray and whenever I talk to him, whenever I read my Bible, there I am reminded of how I just blew it and had sinned against him. And if I'll stay right with the Lord and forget my feelings and go according to faith and His promises, eventually eventually, I'll start feeling close to Him once again. But that doesn't mean I wasn't close as soon as I got right with Him. It's faith. It's not feelings. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves that God has forgiven and forgotten even though we can't seem to forget it. Don't let the devil keep opening up that door and let all the skeletons in the closet fall out and then you got to shove them back in there. Put a lock on that door. Say, Lord, or just say, devil, I don't care what you say. The Lord has cleaned out my closet. The skeletons are, as far as I'm concerned, they're gone. I'm clean and I'm right with the Lord. In conclusion, I'd like to say this to you. This is primarily been a message for saved people. But in conclusion, if you're not saved, let me just talk to you for a couple minutes here. If you're not saved, in regarding these three points that I just presented to you, you know, the first one was to make the best out of every situation. If you're not saved, then you best make the best out of every situation. Because it's the best you're ever going to know. 
Listen, when a suffering person dies without Jesus as their Savior, we often hear people say, well, they're in a better place. No, they're not. Anyone who dies without Jesus Christ and goes off into eternity, they are not in a better place. Jesus Christ made that crystal clear when he said in hell he lift up his eyes being in torments. It's not a better place. Listen, cancer is a horrible thing. I watched my own mother die of cancer and I just think, oh, I just can't. That's just a horrible, horrible thing, a horrible way to go. And just to watch someone that you love and care about suffering. But thank God, my mother knew Jesus Christ as Savior. And when she breathed that last breath and when her life just passed off into eternity, we could say and we could rejoice, she is in a better place. But if someone doesn't have Jesus Christ, they just went, no pun intended, from the frying pan into the fire. It's a very real thing. Secondly, if you're not saved, you cannot be excited about real church. That's why I believe today that church has become what it has become, because it's full of people that can't get excited about the things that matter to God. They have to turn it into a performance and a, you know, man-centered, self-esteem, live your best life now kind of thing, motivational, it has to be self-help, it has to be social, it has to be entertaining. Why? Because it's filled with lost people that don't get excited about the things that really matter. If you're lost, you can't get excited about real church. You cannot love the brethren. The Bible says if you have passed from death to life, you love the brethren. Listen, when I got right with the Lord, I experienced that. I mean, uh, the brethren were a real pain to me when I wasn't right with the Lord. Like, oh, they just think they're better than me. Self-right. I mean, I was looking. I was a teenager, and I was looking to find fault. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. And, and I look back, you know what it was? I was just trying to find some kind of excuse to justify the way that I was living. When I got right with the Lord, those same people that irritated me, I loved them. I really did, and I couldn't explain it. It's just like, man, last week that guy irritated me. Stanley Moore. I mean, I'd be sitting back there where you are, Brother Danny. I'd be sitting back there with my elbows on my knees and my hand, my face resting in my hands, just can't, just waiting until Brother Runyon got done yelling at us. Brother Stanley Moore, he'd be up here, and he'd look all the way back at me, and I'm like, oh, no, he saw me. I mean, this guy was like Tigger. And he'd bounce all the way over here, bounce all the way. He'd say, hey, Brother Randy, he remembered my name. It's like, how do you know my name? I don't even talk to anybody here. He'd grab me by the hand, and it wasn't just a handshake. He'd grab it like this. Brother Randy, it is so good to see you. And I think, this guy's such a phony He just must be having a good day. And then the next church service, same thing. Every time I'd come to church, he'd beeline it to me. And he didn't talk about my mullet. He didn't talk about, he didn't talk about the, the ring in my back pocket. He didn't talk about me sitting there not paying attention to the preaching. He just simply 
showed that he loved me and cared, and he was glad, genuinely glad that I was there. And when I got right with the Lord, oh my, I loved that man. He's in heaven now. But oh, I loved him. And Brother Runyon, as hard as he would preach, I mean, he, he, he would say some things. It's just like, you wouldn't get away with that today. I, I, I won't even say some of it. I mean, it's not that it wasn't true, but I mean, he was direct. He didn't pull any punches. And, and as much as it was like that, it's like all of a sudden I, I loved him. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like three pews closer. Then I'm up there about where you are, Brother Jerry. Next thing you know, I'm right up here. I wasn't even backslid like you teenagers. I was on the front row. Bunch of second row Baptists there. I'm serious, folks. My heart was changed. I, listen, I believe I was saved, but I was I was so my heart was so wrong with God that I couldn't love church. And I know that, that that's that's the same kind of experience that a lost person has, that you can't love the brethren, you can't love real preaching, and you can't have a real burden to give and to serve sacrificially. You know, lost people come, it's like, what, what can I get out of it? Saved people come and say, what can I give to Jesus? Because he gave his all for me. And then my last point to you, if you're not saved, you're going to see little value in forgetting the past. Why? Because your past is the same you as you are today. You don't really care. It's like, well, why, why do I worry about the past? I'm no different today than I am. Listen, when I got right with the Lord, I became different. And I recognize I'm not the same person. You know, high school reunions, the thought of a high school reunion, that just opens up a bunch of memories of shame. You know, I, you know my high school annuals are in a box up in the loft, and I don't get them out and I don't look at them because I don't even want to read what I wrote in other people's, and I don't want to read what they wrote in mine. That brings back an old life. That's in the past. Thank God I have some value that I've become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So as I close here this morning, thank you for being so attentive here today. I hope that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you today. If you're saved, joy is a choice. You can choose to have joy in your life. You don't have to let this world around us and problems with, I mean, relations or relationships, and you don't have to to let anything take away that joy. God wants you to have it, and it is a choice. And if you're not saved, let me tell you something. You you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I mean, you, you, you really put your faith and trust in Him with all of your heart, and you're going to find... God will give you joy unspeakable and full of glory.